Good morning. We'll try that again. Good morning. God is so good all the time, not just when the sun shines. He is good every day in every way. Amen. Well, we have been learning about fruit bearing, and uh, my wife and I had a great blessing of, of having our grandson with us for a couple of days uh, this past week, and uh, she decided we would do something exciting. So, and it was, it was, it was great. We went down to the Corning Museum of Glass. If you haven't been there in a while, you ought to go. It was incredibly amazing and impressive. And uh, Tristan and Deb and I just strolled around and watched all sorts of demonstrations and learned about glass and uh, enjoyed just the wisdom that God's given to people. And then we spent a night over uh, at the lower part of Seneca Lake and then drove back up. And as we were driving up yesterday back home, Tristan was looking out the window, and, and Debbie said, look at all the, look at all the, the uh, farms. And he said, those are farms? Yeah. And as we looked next to the road, he said, what, what's that? And we explained that these were all vineyards. And we hadn't seen this for years and years when we brought our children to the Corning Museum of Glass. And, and it was very different, but they didn't have the vineyards that they have now. And as we were driving up uh, alongside the lake, there were all these vineyards. And as we were driving, going through my mind over and over again is all the scriptures we've been studying in John chapter 15 and how Jesus taught his disciples and is teaching us how important fruit bearing is. Uh, in our lives, we are supposed to be bearing fruit. We're supposed to show a drastic change in our lives when we come to faith in Christ. You know, if, if the truth is, which it is true, that the creator of the universe comes to reside in us when we receive Jesus as our Lord, don't you think it would show up on the surface somewhere? Don't you think? Well, I'm telling you, God expects it. God expects when he comes in residence in a human being by his spirit, when we receive forgiveness for our sins and a new life in Christ, he expects this change to be evident to the people around us. And that's why he said in John chapter 15, uh, verse 8 and verse 16, he, he explains how important this fruit is that's produced by by God in our lives, by God having his way in our lives. Jesus said this to his disciples. He's saying it to us today. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So when we produce this fruit, this, this byproduct of our relationship with Christ, with, with God Almighty through the person of Holy Spirit and, and through the working of his word in our lives, it does a work inside. God's an inside God. He works from the inside out. And so he begins to work inside. But as, as he is able to have his way in our lives, we begin to show forth this fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of righteousness, fruit of the effects of salvation in our lives, and, and the, the impact that it has had on us. And all of a sudden, we begin to impact and impart to other people around us. And that's what God has always intended. 
And so when he says this, he's revealing how important this fruit is. It, it proves who you are, who I am. We, we don't have to go around saying, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Everybody should recognize that through the characteristics that, and the fruit that's in our lives. If we have to tell somebody we're a Christian, there's something not right if we've been a Christian for a while. And, and then he says in verse 16, in the uh, voice translation, you did not choose me, I chose you, and I orchestrated all this so that you would be sent out and bear great fruit, great and perpetual fruit. As you do this, anything you ask the Father in my name will be done. Now, the last part of that verse is something we all want. Don't you want to have God answer every one of your prayers? No, you don't. Because <laughs> some of our prayers aren't the best thing. But, but this, this is an indication that when we come to that place where we're bearing great and perpetual fruit, whatever we pray, God is going to answer and he's going to be able to trust what we're asking because we're letting God have his way so fully and completely that he doesn't have to edit what we're praying for. Because right now he does. I pray selfish prayers at times. I pray, pray prayers at times and don't even realize it to benefit me that might be a detriment to somebody else, and so do you. We all do because there's enough selfishness in us still that needs to be taken care of, needs to be put off as we put on this selfless life that Christ is, has shown us and wants to develop in us. And so we see this importance of fruit, and we've been learning about fruit, and uh, today we're going to see that there are three stages of fruit bearing. And, and if you got one this morning, uh, they, we had sheets, note sheets for this, this message. It's like what's up here. If you didn't get one and you want one, raise your hand. If you don't want one, get rid of it. <laughs> Uh, but this is very unusual for me, and I have to tell you, this is not something I normally do, nor is it something that I was comfortable doing, but I felt very, very impressed by, by the Spirit of God that I should be making this handout to cause you to have something in front of you that you could take with you instead of just leaving you to your own. But we're going to go through this because, and then we'll get into it. I don't know about you, but I'm one of these people that I, um, if somebody hands out a note-taking thing and it's got blanks, I want all the blanks filled in before I leave. If I don't have the blanks filled in, I'm a little undone. And I have been known at times when the blanks haven't been filled in by the speaker to go up and ask. I, I don't have this one. I miss this one. What's this one and what's this one? Because I always feel better when I walk out and all my blanks are filled in. So for those of you that are like me, that you want your blanks filled in, I don't want you coming up after service, I'll fill these blanks in for you. So this, is, this uh, sheet says grow, grow fruitful. It's uh, John 2 and John 5, but the three stages of fruit bearing. All right, these three stages, and the first blank is partnership with God. When we're fruit-bearing, this isn't something we do on our own. This is something that God and us do together. God has a part, and we have a part. How many of you know that, that God's part is the big part, right? And how many of you know that we can't do God's part? Only God can do it. With God, what's possible? Right. 
With man, what's possible? Nothing. Nothing without God. So it's a partnership. God wants us to partner with him so that what we do will count and it will last. Because even the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, if we do anything or everything without love or without God, it amounts to nothing. Okay, so that's, that's really important that we recognize that today. But the, the three stages of fruit bearing are partnership with God, those two. Then we go on to, um, and this is a progressive work. And this progressive work is something that, that happens because God always ta- takes us from wherever we, he finds us, wherever we are. God's not expecting us to get at a certain level immediately. He's going to meet us right where we are. But God loves us too much to leave us there. And so God intends that there is a process that's ongoing. We know this because we know the Bible says that he's going to take us from glory to what? Glory, another level of glory, always increasing glory. God wants us to have abundant life. So we experience life at a level and we have more abundance and more abundance and more abundance till it's overflowing because God wants your life and my life to be not only impacting us, but it would be so impacting of us that we'd be able to impart to others, all the people around us, because the only way people are going to know about God and and learn about heaven is through our lives. They're going to see Christ in us, the Bible says, who's the hope of glory. So the first stage of fruit bearing, uh, we see right here, it's no fruit to fruit. Obviously, you know, when you plant a, a, a tree or you plant a vine or you plant anything, it's not going to immediately bear fruit. What's got to happen to it? Right, it's got to grow, it's got to mature, it's got to develop, it's got to get strong. And so in our lives as Christians, we have to grow, we have to mature, we have to develop, we have to become stronger. But it shouldn't be that as a Christian, I've been a Christian for 30 years, but there's no fruit. There's no evidence that I am really a Christ follower. You know, that needs to be something that isn't a secret. It's something that's seen by everyone everywhere we go in everything we experience. Now, that's something that develops. It, it, it develops in us. You know, there, for me... There are times where people might look at me in a snapshot, a couple of moments of my life, and wonder, you know, if I'm a Christ follower or if I'm even a pastor. And usually those times occur in the car with me, but I'm getting better. But that's where there's progress. There's progress. There's things happening. So this no fruit to fruit stage is something that God intends every one of us to go through but not stay in. And so no fruit to fruit requires God lifting, okay? God lifting. Then we go to the next next stage of fruit bearing, and that's fruit to more fruit. And that requires God pruning. Now, so far, all we've talked about is God, but this is a partnership. So there's a God part and our part. In the lifting, we have to be willing to let God lift us. We need to go with where God's taking us. But God won't force us. That's where we have to choose to partner with him, choose to align with him, choose to yield to him, choose to submit to him, choose to obey him and follow him. And you might say, wow, that sounds like a lot of control. I'm a kind of free spirit person. You'll never be free until you fulfill what God has for you. That's where real freedom 
is. There are two types of freedom the Bible talks about. There's freedom that God gives us. And when God gives us freedom, it's not for us to serve ourselves. Because when we are self-serving, we have freedom and all we do is serve ourselves. That's a trap. We don't realize it, but it entraps us. And, and our world grows smaller and smaller and smaller where everybody else is an irritation and we are the most important thing in our world. And that is a, a very, very um, skewed world because God so loved the whole world he gave his son. Greater love hath no man than this he laid down his life. And so what we see is when we allow God to control us, God to be the one that we choose to follow, our world begins to open up like never before. And we begin to embrace and care about more than just ourselves, nor th more than just us four and no more. We begin to care about people that, that other people don't care about because God cares about them. But this, this is an ongoing process, and God does the lifting, God does the pruning, but then we come to the third stage of fruit bearing, and that's more fruit to much fruit. And if you would just write a little note in your, on your paper where the, Bible, where the verse says much fruit, that much fruit, that word much, is the word um, plenteous. And what it does, it's, it's the word that we get plenty from, and it is a word that means the maximum, the most. So we go from no fruit to some fruit, some fruit to more fruit, more fruit to the most fruit. That's your God. That's the process he wants to take us through in every aspect and area of our life. He wants us to go from glory to glory. And we have this last part, how we bear much fruit. It's our part. It's where, where we choose. It's our abiding. It requires our abiding. Now, we're going to talk about these three stages about God lifting, about God pruning, and about our abiding. But we're going to do it uh, at various times. And this morning, we're going to begin to look at uh, verse 2, where it says that the first stage is from no fruit to fruit. Can we go to, oh, we'll read through all, verse 1 through 5, if we do that. Sorry. Did we do the first two, John? Let's go back. Thanks. No, John. Thank you. Here we go. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may be, bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Right. So we see these three stages of fruit bearing. The one thing I want you to notice is in verse 1, he sets the stage. He tells us who's involved in this. He said, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. Then he says, my father is the vine dresser. And he said, you're the branches. We as believers in Jesus Christ are the branches. And that's where the fruit is. When, when you look at trees, when you look at vines, it's always on the branches. It's not on the, the trunk. And so 
He's setting us up to understand this. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in this, if we go to verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I want you to understand, last, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this. We, we really studied it out. That's a very poor translation. That the, in the original translation where it says takes away, it does not mean he cuts it off and, and you know, you're done with. He's through with you. It actually means to lift up, to lift up or to raise, because that's what God does. God isn't a disposable God. He doesn't dispose of people or relationships. He's always believing the best, always doing the best. And so right here, it says every branch in me. When we're in Christ, we are a new creation. And what he expects, just like anybody that would plant a fruit tree or a vine or anything, he would expect it to begin to produce what it was created to produce, okay? So when it says takes away, actually it's lift up. When God lifts us up, did you know that, that grapevines or grapes are one of the most labor-intensive products that, that can be grown? It takes more human time and effort because you can't do it with machines. You have to do it with people physically going through the vineyards. And just as we read that... that uh, <clears throat> Jesus is the vine, that the Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is a person that walks through the vineyard every day. Every day, no matter what, they go out in the vineyard and they walk through the rows and rows of grapes, okay? And as they do, they inspect the grapes. They see what the condition of the grapes are. They see what the condition of the branches are. They see what the condition of the vine is. And they see whether there's too much or not enough water. They recognize what's happening with the vine itself. And as they walk through, they're looking to see if the new growth is going to continue across, which it usually doesn't. New growth in, in a grapevine and vines in themselves tend to want to grow along the ground. So they have to be trained. And John, could we go to that first picture? Right here, you see where these vines, when they were initially planted, there was a little stake by each one of them. And as they grew, they, they secured them to the stake. And as they got tall enough, eventually what they were able to do was put posts in predetermined distances from each other and run wires or, or lines between them so that once the vine grew up tall enough, the branch would begin to be curled around the stringer of the, the wire. And the reason why was because of the way the, the vine wants to grow, it wants to grow along the ground. But if it grows along the ground, it'll never bear much fruit, and whatever fruit it bears, it will be somehow compromised, okay? So it doesn't yield the maximum production, and what it yields is damaged in some way or another because when it's along the ground, it gets dust on it, now, if the leaves get dust on them, what does it hinder? Anybody know the big word that, that happens when sun shines on a, a green plant? Right, photosynthesis. When that dust gets all over it, it hinders the photosynthesis. Yes. I'm not going to say it again. It hinders that pea thing. Uh, but what it, what it does is it causes the vine not to be strong. It's weak. It's not productive. 
And so what has to happen is that vine has to be lifted up. It has to be trained to go around that wire or that, that piece of rope. And if it's not, again, when it rains, that, that dust turns to mud. The grapes, whatever that is grown, it's, it, they get mildewed. It's not anything that you can harvest. And speaking of harvest, do you know it takes the first six years to train a vine? And on the seventh year, it's finally able to give a commercial production. Isn't it interesting it was seven? How many days did it take God to create the world? Do you know the number seven in the Bible is the, the number of completion? God has a plan that there takes work. And so it takes work in our lives. Us allowing God to work in our lives, us being partners with God in working in our lives so that things will adjust and change and realign from being aligned with the world in its ways and its priorities to the ways of the kingdom of God. And so these vines grow up and they start to bring the branches along. And go to the next one, John. When we see what happens, these branches begin to spiral along, but their tendency is still to go back to the ground. Gravity pulls them back to the ground, back to that dirt, which is a lot like sin in a Christian's life. It covers us and keeps us from being energized and imparted what, what the sun has for us, hinders our growth, hinders our productivity, hinders all the things that God has for us. And that's what the enemy does. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy and this sin in our lives, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And so as, as the things of this world and the temptation of sin tries to pull us back down, we have to have somebody that comes along and lifts us up. And God is always lifting in our lives. He's always wanting to lift us up, but he won't make us. We can succumb and give in to the pull of sin, the pull of the world, go back to our old ways and lose, not our salvation, but lose all the benefits that God has readily waiting for us. You see, this is where partnership is so important because God loves us so much, he'll never force us. But we have to be willing to trust that God knows more than we do, that God is smarter, God sees the end from the beginning, the moment we think we know more than God is the moment we are moving in a very dangerous direction. We're allowing that deception to steal from us. We learned where there's deception, there is what? Loss. There's loss. And, and that deception is, is just critical. So there is this lifting that God does. And when that lifting happens, he's repositioning us. He's taking us from where we are to where he has for us to be for the best to occur in our lives. And when God lifts us, it is something that many times we are not really aware of how he's doing it. But uh, in Hebrews, we're going to look at this today because this is going to help us understand what the lifting process is all about, how God lifts us, how God raises us. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at verse 1 and 2 to start out with. But before we read this, anybody remember what Hebrews chapter 11 is about? Yeah, the hall of fame of faith or the heroes of faith. 
right? You read all about all these people that do amazing things for God, right? So there's only a handful of people that do amazing things for God. Is that true? No. This is just a sampling of people that God used uh, in, in the Old Testament to do amazing things. And how were they able to do what they were able to do? Well, it came down to them allowing God to have the priority in their life where they would follow God, fulfill what God has, and all of a sudden, there were supernatural things that were done by these people. Now, I want you to know God wants to do supernatural things through your life. God wants to use you as a hero, as somebody that is amazing to other people as he works in your life and through your life. And and we can all have that happen in our lives. Maybe not the same way, but we we can have God work. And now in chapter 12, he tells us how this happens. And and the Apostle Paul writes, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, it talks about a race, right? And it's a set race. Next week, some of you are going out to the Boilermaker. You're going to serve on the RLC uh, finish line water stop. And... How many of you know that there is a beginning and an end to that race, right? We're at, the, we're at the finish. There's a start point, but you can't just run wherever you want to run and cross the finish line. You, there's a set course. And do the runners set the course? No, no. There is somebody that has said, this is, this is the prescribed course. This is the course you have to run. I want you to know, none of us set our own course. And if we set our course, we're off course. Hello? Because if we're Christians, we are not in charge of our lives. We've given control over to Christ. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our savior. And every time we take it back, we tend to get off course. We tend to get off course. We move away from the plan of God, the purpose of God. And when we do, as soon as we're doing that, we're missing the mark of God. Do you know that that is one of the definitions of sin, to miss the mark of God? And it's so easy to do because we just go where we think is best, where we want to go, and yet we need to stay on track with God. And so in running this race that's preset, God has a set course for you. It's the best course for you. Now, how many of you know it doesn't always look like the best or sound like the best or feel like the best. Nobody, not all, everybody's going to agree that it's the best, but I want you to understand it is, if it's God's course for you, it is the best. Always. And so we're to lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. Do you notice that it's not just sins? Because the sins do damage to us. The wages of sin is death. And so the enemy steals and kills and destroys through us getting off course with God. But it also talks about laying aside every weight, every weight and sin that easily ensnares us. And that word ensnares is a specific word that means to stop progress in every direction. And who's out to ensnare you? The enemy. He wants to stop progress in every direction in your life and my life. Because if people see progress in your life and they know you're a Christian, they're going to 
wonder, was that God? And so these weights and sins that stop our progress, we know sin stops our progress, but what about weights? What are these weights? The weight of the world, the cares of the world, the pressure and stresses of the world, the things that we choose to carry, and God doesn't want you carrying that. When, when we see Jesus talking to people that were weary and heavy burdened, what did he say to them? Anybody remember? Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he said, here's an exchange. Take my yoke, which is easy, and my burden, which is light. My burden, which is light. So God doesn't want you under these heavy weights. The moment you start to feel pressure or weight in your life, you need to stop. Stop right then and there and begin to consider what is going on. What am I feeling the pressure of? Because that's not what God wants you to, to sense. He doesn't want you to be all mushed down and crushed down by this weight of the cares of the world. And so you've got to cast that care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. God's looking out for you. But he can't just do it for you. This is a partnership. You have to choose to go his way. I have to choose to go his way. But then it goes down in verse 5 to indicate how we do this. How do we go about this? How is this lifting? What is this all about? Uh, it says in verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And then in the New Living Translation, it says, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Now, did you notice in the first, first um, translation, it talks about... Uh, when, when he chastens you, when he chastens you, this is, this is when God's lifting you, there's a repositioning, there is an adjustment, and God is doing something for our benefit, and when he chastens us and rebukes us. Now, I'm going to take a poll here. You don't have to out loud respond, but when I say chasten and rebuke, do you look, think of that in light of something good or something you don't want? And for most of us, it's something we don't want. You know, we hear, I don't want to be chastened. I don't want to be rebuked. But that's because we don't understand what it actually is meaning and how much we all would actually agree we do need it. And we do want it. And this is why, because the word chasten is defined as education. Do we need education? How about instruction? Do we need instruction? Oh, you guys are fading. I have to tell you, in, in the world we live in right now, in the society, in the time we live in, nobody wants to have anybody tell them anything but what they already believe. And that's because there is a spirit at work in the world in this time, and the Bible's told us about the last days. The spirit of rebellion, the spirit of lawlessness. I don't want to hear from anybody. I want everybody to hear from me because I've got it. I know. 
We've watched this intensify and erupt in the last two years in our society. And it's nothing less than the enemy operating through ignorant Christians and through a world that is controlled by the enemy. Because we shouldn't be showing the same fruit that people that don't know Jesus show. Ours should be drastically different. We're supposed to be humble. We're supposed to be teachable. And yet we come off oftentimes as, you know what, I know. The moment you and I think we know, we're deceived because the only one that always knows about everything is God. And we start to be filled up with pride, and that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The enemy is getting his way again. But when we humble ourselves, the Bible says that God gives grace to the humble. I'm telling you right now, every one of us as Christians, we need the grace of God. We need it every day. It was how we started this relationship with God. We started on this path with God. We were saved by grace. And we need grace to walk out this day. The empowering presence of God. The peace of God. The, the hope of God. The joy of God. The life of God comes through the grace of God. And that comes as we are willing to admit we don't have it all together. We don't know it all. We can't do it all. But God can. We know one who can. And we can turn to him and trust in him and allow him to guide us and govern us and guard us so that we won't fall prey. We won't be ensnared. We won't be brought to a standstill by the weights and the sins of the world. And right now, a lot of Christians are brought to a standstill. There's not fruit in their life. They're not impacting in a Christ-like way the world around them. Are they impacting? Yeah, but it's, it's people seeing Christians and saying, I don't want to be anything like them. And it should be just the opposite. It should be just like Jesus when he walked the earth. When Jesus walked the earth, he was revealing the unseen Father. You and I are revealing the Son and the Father. And what they did was the people recognized they needed what Jesus had. Come to our house. Come to our party. Hey, let me talk to you. The only people that didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus were the pride-filled religious people of that time. And that's where we have to be aware. It's so important we're aware of what God's doing and how this lifting, this lifting comes, this realignment, readjustment. So we're not just doing what everybody else does. We're living in this new, new way of life with a new king, with a new Lord. And he does it through chastening. Chastening. That word chastening means education, instruction, tutoring, how about nurturing? Anybody need nurturing? That's what chastening means. We've lost the definition of it. We have an idea of what it is, but it's not accurate because this is what it is. It's education, instruction, tutoring, nurturing. It is correction. And, and none of us do everything right. Do you know that Michael Jordan, the way he got to be Michael Jordan, was because he had a coach that evaluated him and corrected him in the things that he needed to correct. Greatest basketball, some of you think some other is, but 
my generation, it was Michael Jordan. But he needed somebody else to look at him and say, hey, you need to stop doing this and you need to start doing this. And at the time, the greatest basketball player was humble enough to receive correction from somebody that couldn't play the game as well as him. Listen, God can use anybody to correct us. But understand, how does he do it? He corrects you as sons and daughters. Who is this that's, that's doing the correction? It's God. Who is God? God is love. He doesn't beat you up. He doesn't tear you down. It's not about destroying you. It's about developing you. The only one that can develop you and me to the potential that we were created with is the one that created us. And the way he does it, he does it lovingly. He doesn't beat us. He doesn't berate us. He doesn't shame us. But he does speak truthfully and love to us. And he points out things that maybe we would never see. But we need to change. Part of the definition is training and discipline. Another two things that our society as a whole wants nothing to do with. We don't want to have to train. And we don't want to be disciplined. But... I think if you hear the definition of discipline, I think we all would want it. Definition of discipline, this word discipline, it means to bring to a place of order and obedience. How many of you know when there is order, there's a greater capacity, there's a greater productivity? Well, if you don't, that's the truth. When we are operating in disorder, it's more towards the enemy's form of doing things. He wants to bring chaos and confusion, rioting. And God is a God of order. When, the, when he took the earth, he brought order to the earth. There was chaos. There was darkness. And God brought order. And God wants to bring order to your life and my life so that our lives will be more productive than ever before. And he does it through this chastening, through this discipline, through this training. And uh, we're just going to read because we're going to go back over this and see some things. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says this, you must submit to and endure correction for discipline, for God is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father did not train and correct and discipline? Now, in our society today, there are a lot of places that doesn't happen. And we become so, so unaware of the importance and the benefit of training and discipline that we have a seemingly natural pushback to any time anybody does it. And there is a reason, because we've had people discipline us and train us not in the right way. But we're talking about God, and we're talking about his kingdom. We're talking about the benefits of when God begins to do this and how it brings order and obedience to our life. 
goes on to say, now if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline in which all of God's children share, then you are illegitimate offsprings and not true sons at all. Go ahead. Moreover, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we yielded to them and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more cheerfully submit to the Father of spirits and so truly live? Again, one of the things that we have to be really aware of is if we look at this in light of our time, that is not true. There are a lot of times that, that parents disciplined and there wasn't respect. There is a huge lack of respect in our society as a whole for any authority, for any person in a place of authority or responsibility. Authority and responsibility go together. And so we have, we have a, we are moving rapidly towards anarchy. And even in the church, everybody wants to do what they want to do. I want you to understand the church isn't a democracy. You can vote, but the way you vote in church is you stop giving, you stop attending, you, you, you unplug, but God's still going to do what he's going to do. It's a theocracy. There is one at the head of the church. Who is the head? It's not me, not Pastor Gabe. It's Jesus. And our, our goal and our heart's desire and the elders in this church are not to do what we want. And you have no idea how we labor over this, how we want so desperately to do what God wants. And we pray and, and we discuss and we, we, we correct each other at times because we want what God wants. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Is it going to be what God wants? To a degree, not completely, because none of us are perfect. We're going to miss it. And if, you, if you're afraid to go to a church that misses it, then you're not going to go to any church. And if there was a perfect church, God, why am I going here? If there was a perfect church, you couldn't go because you'd mess it up because you're not perfect. God's not looking for perfect people. He knows that we're flawed, we're frail, we failed. But God loves to take the weak and the foolish and the base to confound the wise. He wants to take people like us and work in us that he can work through us to show people what's possible when God's allowed to have his way. When God is allowed to lift us out of what we've done all our lives and begin to chasten us, to correct us, to train us, to instruct us, to discipline us, bring order to our lives. And it feels like we're losing freedom, but that's because it was a deceptive life we lived in. We were not free before, and God's bringing us into a new realm of freedom that we can't know apart from him, whom the Son has set free is free indeed because the freedom in our lives we end up squandering it on the things that we want that bring us back into bondage 
I don't know why I said all that, except I, I really felt God wanted me to say that for somebody. Maybe it was just for me. But in verse 10, it says, For your earthly fathers disciplined us, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and ch chastised us as seemed proper and good to who? To them. I want you to know the way God intended families to be. Parents were supposed to discipline, correct, train, tutor, mentor, instruct, do all those things for their children before the school ever got involved. Before anybody else ever got involved, that was supposed to be done in the home. And yet, there's been such pushback that people are afraid to do any of that for fear of going to jail. But they did the best they could. Whatever your parents did, they, I don't know what your parents were like, but God intended them to do the best for you, being not perfect. But it was the best they knew how to do. And this goes on to say, but he disciplines us for our certain good that we may become sharers in his own holiness. Why does God discipline us? Because he's angry? Because he's angry? Because he's vengeful? Because he's an abuser? It's because he loves us. And it hurts God, your heavenly Father's heart, to see us down in the dirt being robbed from, things being destroyed in our lives, the very thing that Christ died for being robbed from us. And when it's robbed from us, it's robbed from the people that we know because when God impacts our lives and we interact with another life, we can impact and impart to them what God has impacted parted to us. And that's why he lifts us. He disciplines us. By the way, what were the followers of Jesus called? Disciples. Because there was a realignment in their lives. They had to make adjustments. You and I, if we're going to follow Christ, if he's going to be our Lord, it is a life of adjustment. And none of us, very few of us, like change, look forward to change. But understand this, every bit of change that God shows us in our life, he begins to point out and he begins to put his finger on to correct. It's a partnership that we work together with him to move us over to him and his way. And it's going to seem contrary. It's going to seem strange. It's going to seem foreign. It's going to seem uncomfortable, unfamiliar. But all those things, those are just other words for growth. That's what God has for us. God has for us to grow. And as we grow, we begin to bear fruit. But he's not done. He's not done with just a little bit of fruit. Because that fruit is a blessing to you, but it's a blessing to everybody you come in contact with. And so we're going to continue to look at this and, and learn about this because this is critical. 
It's critical in the hour that we're living in because it is, it is not just different from the culture that we live in. It is absolutely countercultural. It's not a subculture. It's countercultural. This flies in the face of everything that we're learning in the world. There's the way of the kingdom and the way of the world. And I want you to know right now, the way of the world is so dominant in so many people's lives, and it needs to be in our lives, the way of the kingdom. And it is a fight. It's not a fight against flesh and blood. Most of the fight lies right in here. Who are we going to give ourselves to? Who are we going to allow to guide and govern and guard us? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, even today in churches, people come to get entertained. Church was never, never, never about entertainment. It was about instruction. It was about transformation. It was about encouragement. But the moment we begin to get entertained and go for entertainment, there's something that we begin to lose out on. As, as the scriptures tell those that are, are in full-time ministry, we're supposed to use the word. And it shocked me to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and comfort. But there are more corrective aspects to it than comforting aspects. And we try and do our best here to encourage you, to comfort you, but also to help every one of us recognize there's adjustment. There's adjustment necessary. And that adjustment may be unfamiliar, it may be uncomfortable, but it will be absolutely worth it. It's like what coaches do with teams. Tom Landry of the Dallas Cowboys said, a coach is a person who makes teams do what they don't want to do to become people that they want to become. Every one of us as, as children of God want to be people that bring glory to our Heavenly Father, people that hear at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. But that is going to take adjustment in our lives that we live for Him and not for us, that we do what Jesus said. If we're His followers, we deny ourselves. We pick up our cross. We follow Him. But we realize this life is so short, and any sacrifice we make in this life is going to be worth it for eternity. And if you're just living right now for today or for this life, the Bible tells us this life is like a vapor, a smoke, that it's so fleeting and fragile. It's so short-lived that we have eternity to live in with Christ. And what we do here massively affects what we have there. Yes, we'll go to heaven if we don't, we don't yield to Jesus, if we don't yield to his lifting of us, his, his correction, his training, his discipline, 
Now, we'll still go to heaven. But there are all sorts of rewards for those that have chosen to let God have his way. But heaven isn't ours until we receive the one who said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you'll also be. And in speaking to his disciples, he said, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And they said, we don't know where you're going or how to get there. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, if you have not, you may know who Jesus is, but if you have never repented of your sin and received him as your Lord, that's where the relationship begins. That's where we open the door to our lives. We receive the cleansing work of Christ. And then we receive the guiding work of God to help us navigate this life. If you've never done that, then today I want to pray with you, and I'm going to invite all of us to pray. So let's pray this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. If you prayed here today with us for the first time, let somebody know before you leave. If you are online and you prayed with us, go to our website, reslifeny.org. Uh, scroll down to where the prayer requests are. Let us know that you prayed. If you want us to pray for you by name, give us your name. And if you want us to contact you, give us some contact information. Would you stand? God is doing a work. We need God to do a work. Jesus is coming back. Right? Amen. He's coming back for a glorious, victorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's getting the stuff out of us because we need to get the stuff out of us so that we can allow God to have full control. You know, there were, I think it was Moody who said uh, that people are waiting to see a person that is fully under the control of God. And you know, that's what Jesus was. To my knowledge, he's the only one that was fully under the control of God. He said, I always do those things that please my Father. And look what God was able to accomplish through him. Just think, if we give God more of our lives, allow him to guide us and govern us more, how much he can impact the world around us. Amen? Well, also remember that next week, if you're going to the Boilermaker, you're going to have an impact. You may not see it this side of heaven, but you're going to have an impact on people from all over the world. We're going to be praying for you. As a matter of fact, we'll pray for you before we leave this morning. Uh, but I just want to pray for you. Uh, pray for BBS. Be praying for the workers. Praying for the kids that are going to be coming. Praying for the weather. Amen. You know, prayer works, so we ought to work it. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you. 
Thank you, Father, for everything that you have done in our lives. Thank you, Father, for your amazing, sacrificial, gracious, generous gift of your Son. Father, you've given us your Son, and you won't hold back any good thing you said from those that walk uprightly. And so we want to be those people that continue to transform, that we grow from no fruit to fruit and from some fruit to more fruit and from more fruit to absolutely the maximum. For your glory, Heavenly Father, you receive great glory when we do this. Lord, so that we would be absolutely demonstrating that we are your true disciples. And the Father, that fruit would impact the people you so love that have no idea how much you love them. And the people that you love that they know that you love them, but they don't realize that you love them completely. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunities this week to be able to go forth and, and show forth your love and your fruit. Father, we thank you for uh, those serving at the Boilermaker, those that are going to be serving at VBS. We thank you for strengthening them. We thank you for gracing them and, and multiplying the goodness back to them. Father, we thank you for the children that are going to be coming to VBS. Prepare their hearts, Father, that they would receive your son and, and everything that he has in his kingdom for them and that they would take it back to their families. Lord, that there would be an eternal impact through the Boilermaker Outreach, through VBS, and through our daily lives as we live them with you and for you. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great week.